Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. Governor Gavin Newsom and state legislative leaders say they have an agreement that could restart in-person learning for the state's youngest students. The deal hasn't been universally embraced. We'll have more on that in a moment. But first, KQED's Guy Marzarati explains how the proposal would work. The plan announced on Monday aims to get kids back in school this month by offering districts a really big carrot. This is a $6.6 billion commitment. Governor Newsom is floating the money for districts who bring back kindergarten, first and second grade. We incentivize opening up our schools by providing real resources to do it. We expect that all of our TK to two classrooms open within the next month. Older elementary school students would return when their county falls into the red coronavirus tier. The plan outlines a more hands-off approach for the state government than previous proposals. The state is setting aside vaccines for teachers, but it won't require inoculations. Many school districts still have to bargain with their local union, but the state is not requiring it. And if coronavirus rates decline, the state won't make districts test students and staff. Troy Flint with the California School Boards Association says there's nothing wrong with the state getting out of the way. I think the chances of seeing many more California students in school in the 2021 school year are much brighter now than they were two days ago. But there's not much brightness at the end of the tunnel for California's oldest public school students. What's particularly disturbing to this mom of a middle schooler and a high schooler is it completely leaves those kids out. That's Pat Riley, a Democratic consultant and parent advocate for the group Open School CA. She says that at the end of the day, districts can choose to leave the money on the table and stay in distance learning. We are nearly two weeks away from being locked out of our schools for nearly a year, more than any other place in the United States. And kids are suffering. Parents are suffering, particularly women. And moms. The legislature plans to vote on the reopening proposal on Thursday. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. California's largest local teachers union, United Teachers Los Angeles, is blasting the plan. Here's UTLA President Cecily Meyer Cruz speaking at a news conference last night. If you condition funding on the reopening of schools, that money will only go to white and wealthier schools that do not have the transmission rates that low-income black and brown communities do. This is a recipe for propagating structural racism. The union is still bargaining with LA Unified on a safe way to go back to school in person. Union members are voting this week on the conditions that would be necessary for them to return to the classroom. 
Well, the city of Los Angeles has reached a settlement with a skilled nursing facility accused of dumping residents to take in more lucrative COVID-19 patients as a way of bringing in more money. Here's L.A. City Attorney Mike Fewer at a news conference yesterday. The settlement is our second lawsuit against Lakeview Terrace in two years. And the fact that we have sued twice in two years should demonstrate the tenacity that we intend to bring to protecting our most vulnerable residents. The settlement requires Lakeview Terrace Skilled Nursing Facility to pay $275,000 in penalties and implement a number of changes, including doubling the number of nurses on site and installing a performance monitor to make sure the facility is following rules and regulations. As millions of older Californians clamor for the COVID-19 vaccine, many are feeling frustrated and left out by the appointment process. CAP Radio's Scott Rod has that story. The vaccine appointment system is built around a website called MyTurn. The site is intended to streamline the process and answer common questions. But many seniors don't have broadband at home, and access to public places with internet, like libraries, remains limited. Joe Hayes is a research associate at the Public Policy Institute of California. Statewide, 20% of seniors don't have access to broadband at home. By demographics, for instance, uh, access we found is lower among uh, Latino seniors. In rural areas, it's it's 30% that lack uh, access to broadband at home. Hayes says the state may be able to use recently allocated federal funding to bridge the digital divide among seniors. California is also offering an appointment hotline in multiple languages to help reach people without internet access. That number is 833-422-4255. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. A new study from the California Policy Lab looks at unemployment benefits Californians are getting at a county level. It shows that regions with populations who need the most support and who've already been harder hit by COVID-19 are less likely to get help. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin explains. According to the study, people in counties with higher median household incomes are more likely to get unemployment benefits. On the flip side, says UCLA economist Tilvon Walker, Those who are poorer, those who have less access to broadband, those who are Hispanic, are consistently less likely to get unemployment insurance, or UI. There's always a suspicion that was true, but this really puts an important clarity to it, that UI, as many other social programs, is less accessible to those who need it most. Von Wachter says the state already has the data to identify which Californians are eligible for unemployment but aren't applying and reach out to them directly. Above and beyond fixing access issues related to broadband and computer access or to language issues. And when I read these results, I see, I see an opportunity. And, and, you know, I really hope the state is going to move to take that opportunity. In the meantime, we know too well that even Californians who have active unemployment applications are often left without resources. As of late last week, the backlog at the state's unemployment department was still over a million people. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. 
Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. L.A. County's newly elected District Attorney George Gascon won last year, promising to upend the tough-on-crime policies of his predecessor. But prosecutors both in and outside of his office are fighting to stop the same reforms he campaigned on. As KQED's Marisa Lagos reports, this isn't just a battle being waged in L.A., and Gascon's allies say the broader future of criminal justice reform is at stake. This is a story about L.A., But to fully understand it, let's go halfway across the country to Chicago, where Kim Fox was elected as the top prosecutor five years ago. When I came in in 2016, it was a novelty almost to have someone coming in talking about criminal justice reform as a prosecutor. Fox was the first in a wave of progressive prosecutors elected across the nation, district attorneys who ran promising to reduce incarceration. And then you saw momentum building across the country. And I think What then also happened was, what is this new crop of prosecutor? And there was a deliberate effort, I believe, on the right to kind of villainize what this work looked like. By the time Gascon, a former police chief and San Francisco district attorney, was elected last fall to lead the largest local prosecutor's office in the nation, Fox says those opposed to reform had regrouped. And they came out swinging. He gets sworn in on a Monday, in like Monday night. You know, he's got his deputies on television saying that they're not going to do what he says. Gascon had wasted no time either. Within hours of taking the oath of office, he issued a series of directives that put his promises into practice. The new rules barred L.A. prosecutors from seeking the death penalty, from trying juveniles as adults, and from filing most sentencing enhancements, including under the state's three strikes laws. And it didn't go down well. Those were given to his deputies without any type of consultation, without any type of warning, without any type of introduction. Eric Sedell is vice president of the union representing deputy DAs in Los Angeles, which supported Gascon's opponent. Sedell isn't just mad about how his new boss rolled out the rules. He and the union oppose the policies on the merits as well. They say Gascon is ignoring the law and abusing the long-standing notion of prosecutorial discretion. That's the power DAs hold to decide whether to charge someone with a crime and which charges to file. Prosecutorial discretion doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want. It means you have to work within the bounds of the law. The prosecutor's union sued over part of the directives and succeeded at least temporarily. Last month, a judge blocked the ban on sentencing enhancements from taking effect, though Gascon says he's appealing. Gascon says he won't back down and defends his sweeping, instantaneous policy changes as fulfilling the promises he made to voters in the state's most populous county. There was more sense of urgency, you know, especially after the the Floyd event. 
in the summer, you know, there was a tremendous amount of unrest throughout the nation, and, and L.A. was certainly one of the focal points of that unrest. But it's clear that, much like the Black Lives Matter protest, this is a fight playing out both inside and beyond Los Angeles's borders. The statewide association representing both elected district attorneys and line prosecutors took the extraordinary step of joining the lawsuit against Gascon. Here's association president Vern Pearson, the DA in El Dorado County. In our view, it's it's not just a difference in policies. It, it, it's as though he thinks and the people he surrounded himself with think that he has been elected or anointed king of the L.A. County criminal court system. Pearson says Gascon can't just ignore laws he doesn't like. Supporters of Gascon find this argument, that he doesn't have the discretion to decide how harshly to charge cases, hypocritical, considering how carefully DAs have guarded the notion of prosecutorial discretion in the past. San Francisco District Attorney Chase Boudin. Almost no one, and certainly none of the folks attacking George from the right, ever raised concerns about prosecutorial discretion when prosecutors were seeking to send people to prison for life for stealing a pizza. Boudin, another progressive elected recently, says tough-on-crime prosecutors are happy to fall back on discretion when it gives them the chance to throw the book at someone. He says reformers cannot back down. What's at stake is the broad-based national movement around criminal justice reform. If he's right, what happens in L.A. could reverberate around the nation. For The California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos. And that is the California Report for this Tuesday, March 2nd. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from the law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. And Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors, like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, 
visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support.